Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Coast View. This is a show that celebrates the men and women who make coastal Mississippi a great place to live, work, and play. Someone asked me the other day again, why did we call it the Coast View? V-U-E. Well, I I have to give my wife, Ann, a lot of credit because she went on a mission to to name this show with me. And when she found that word view, V-U-E, and the definition, there are a lot of different definitions, but the one that really appealed to me and us was the visual perception of a region. And that that just fits so perfectly. Um, I want to thank you for listening or, or watching live on YouTube or Facebook. We appreciate you. My goal is to entertain you, is to is to give you a gift each morning that is inspiring um, inspiration. There's a, been a lot of inspiration on this show. I also want you to gain a great appreciation for what it takes to build a great region and the kind of leaders that it takes to build a great region. This morning, I've got a really special guest, Adele Lyons, the chief executive officer for the Mississippi Gulf Coast Chamber of Commerce, or the Coast Chamber, as it is often called. She is extraordinarily strong and a, and a knowledgeable leader. Uh, around issues facing coastal Mississippi. She's made so many contributions throughout her career. You're about to understand why I say that. Welcome to the Coast View and Super Talk studio, Adele. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So I told my daughter last night, uh, she said, Dad, who's on the show tomorrow? I said, Adele Lyons. (gasps) Oh, man, she's going to be great. Uh, you have a lot of fans, uh, don't you? Yeah, that's nice. Nice <laughs> to hear from Tori. Yeah, Tori, as you know, is a teacher at St. James. Mm-hmm. She loves teaching. Uh, and I'm, we're so proud of her. She's just a terrific teacher. Um, one of the things I noticed in preparing for this show today, we've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. We worked together when I was publisher of the, of the Sun-Herald and, and the Knight Foundation and other, other venues. But this has given me a chance. This show has been a gift because they get a chance to focus on you for the time leading up to the 24-hour clock starting before we have our conversation. But it gives me a chance to focus on you, to learn more about you, maybe things I didn't know. And I always learn something new about our guests that I didn't know. I mean, this opportunity has been incredible. The thing I'd say about you is that you've been focused on striving to be the next best version of yourself in every job that you've had. Is that fair? That's very fair. Um, You know, I've really been blessed. I've never had a job that I didn't love. Mm -hmm. I never, um, you know, I've got to go to work. Um, (laughs) You know, never felt like that. I always really felt like it was something that was a good fit for me, and it was a good uh, fit, for I think, for the community, and um, just how to move forward. Yeah, I was always the same way, just always very passionate about what i did that's you know people say that the the key to success is first of all you got to love what you do and it's always been evident that you have loved what you did the thing that that really stuck out was that in each step of your career you were focused on learning something really significant it might have been about volunteerism it might have been about building business plans it might have been about running a nonprofit, you know uh organization 
but you've always been focused on learning. I guess, you know, I've always said the more you learn, the more you learn, better learn how much you don't know, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I've worked in nonprofits for a long time, but there's always something new, something changing. Um, I don't know how you you can't, um, you know, look forward like that as to what what is there to learn today, what's there to learn tomorrow, and how is what I'm learning today going to affect tomorrow? Yeah, okay, so... You did a short stint in the private sector, but you spent the majority of your career in the nonprofit sector. And as I mentioned to you offline, that's kind of unusual. Usually you see people who worked in the private sector for most of their career and then, you know, at the end of their career, they make a contribution or they work in the nonprofit community for a short period of time at the beginning of their career and then they go to the private sector. But you spent the majority of your career. In the, in the nonprofit community. You know, and it just kind of worked that way. It wasn't something I really ever planned. Um, certainly the structure of the organizations were always nonprofit, but I always tried to run them like a business. That's the way to have a successful nonprofit, that certainly you have revenue coming in, you have expenses, and then how do you grow mm-hmm. that program, just like how would you grow your business and grow your customer base. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really planned to continually be in the nonprofit, I got a business degree. I thought I'd work in business, which I feel like I have, like I mentioned before. Um, but it's it's been a good ride, certainly. And in some ways, every place I've been is very well, it's all connected. You and I both admire Alberto Ibarguen. What the, an amazing The man. smartest man I think I've ever met. And I was super intimidated by him <laughs> when I first met him. Um, because he just he was just commanded a presence certainly, and just I learned a lot from him. Former publisher of El Nuevo Herald and Miami Herald, and current chief executive officer for the Knight Foundation, which we'll talk about the Knight Foundation coming up. Mm-hmm. But in the in the conversation I had with Alberto on this show, if you didn't see it, you can you can go to the Facebook page or to the uh, uh, Super Talk Mississippi YouTube page to see it. Um, but but he at the beginning we talked about the importance of a strong nonprofit community. I mean, you really get that, don't you? That in order to have a strong region, we it's it's critical to have a, a strong nonprofit sector. Yeah, and I think we really saw that after Katrina in in the biggest way. And there was a lot of hesitation from some of the other larger, if you'll remember, foundations in the in the country that came through. Uh, felt like our nonprofit, they were afraid we didn't have the capacity to handle some of the grants that they mm-hmm. thought they might want to make. And I think we showed them differently that we have a lot of capacity and you have nonprofits that um, really take on some tough subjects and some tough issues. And we, as a community, ask them to do that. Mm-hmm. They can't, the government can't do everything, um, <clears throat> individuals can't do everything, um, but we've got a strong nonprofit in this region that takes on all sorts of issues. I think Katrina probably made them stronger. Absolutely. And the opportunity to create the Knight Nonprofit Center was a real enabler in terms of creating synergy and the opportunity to be creative together. And, um, you know, again, we'll talk a little bit more about the Knight Foundation and its contributions. You grew up in Biloxi. You're, you're a Biloxi girl. I am. Born and raised. <laughs> uh, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, you know, great neighborhood, big family. Seven. Seven kids in my family. And your dad had seven. My dad had a large family as well, um, brothers and one sister. Um, and so there's just a few of those lions, uncles and, and guys still hanging around. But just a large family, a lot of cousins. Um, you know, so it's a great way to grow up. Isn't it awesome to be able to do what you do in the community where you grew up? 
Well, it is. You know, that's one thing I think I mentioned to you before about working for, I know we're going to talk about Knight Foundation later, but in some ways that was the best job I ever had was making grants and helping um, the community. Uh, but in the other way, it was it was really a tough position because I knew so many of the people that were asking for funding and had great projects mm-hmm. that we had to t- say no to. Mm-hmm. And when it's your cousin or your neighbor or somebody you went to elementary school with, it's hard that, to say no. That's a tough no. <laughs> but when we explain why it was a no, people people seem to understand that and get that. But so you grew up in Biloxi and your mother worked, but it didn't get in the way of her having you involved in everything as a child. And that had a big influence on you, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, my mom was a registered dietitian and she worked, you know, all day long. A lot of my friends, parents and mothers didn't work. But I found and I look back that my mom was the Brownie troop leader and she was the PTA uh, president and she was involved in so many things. And, you know, she drug us right along with her. I can remember being at the Sanger Theater, you know, the night before play was going to open and we're helping stock the concession stand. And I'm sure some people thought, why did Barbara Lyons drag all these kids down here? They're running around like crazy. But, you know, I think we did contribute, I hope, (laughs) a little bit of something. So she was teaching you early in your life about giving back to the community yeah it was about being involved with the community just from the get-go wow that's so cool your first job was at big star i was a cashier at big star on howard avenue then it became the piggly wiggly yeah (laughs) um and that was in the old days where you actually had to ring things up there was no scanner you know and uh that was a pretty cool job it was fun you knew again kind of a local grocery store wasn't like the big walmarts or anything so you knew everybody coming in and out of there a lot of the shrimp boat captains came in and got their load for the whole you know week or where they were going to be out shrimping and that was to be a huge order and it was it was kind of fun yeah. you know, cashiering down there um my daughter tori's um goal in life when she was like three or four was to be a cashier <laughs> she had her little store set up and she would ring it all up it was it was it was fun watching her you know aspire to do something like that so you went on to usm in 1982 I graduated from Mercy Cross. It was mm-hmm. the first graduating class at Mercy Cross. That was kind of a cool experience yeah. as well, having gone to Sacred Heart. And then the, mer- the schools merged and uh, went to USM. Um, just really felt very comfortable there. Loved it. Was a business major. Um, you know, loved the football. Still do to this day. You know, go Eagles to the top. <laughs> and um, just very comfortable there. And then I stayed there to get my MBA. When I graduated, I kind of, I knew I wanted an MBA and I was like, you know what? I'm here. Mm -hmm. I have a roommate. I have a place to live. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stick it out and and get my MBA. You actually did an internship working with Becky Montgomery, which, you know, we're going to come back to this after, after the break, but, but Becky had a really big influence on you that really sort of ultimately defined where, where are you going to go with your career? I learned a lot from Becky. She's a great mentor and still a very good friend today. Yeah, she's a very special woman. We have Adele Lyons, who's the chief executive officer for the Coast Chamber. And, uh, you know, she's from Biloxi and has worked in so many important nonprofit roles. We're going to go through those after we come back from the break. But what an inspiration Adele is. Like I said, she's got a lot of fans. And as you listen to this conversation, you'll understand why. We'll be back right after this break. So listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. To Coast View, we've got uh, Adele Lyons here, the CEO of the Coast Chamber. We're having a wonderful conversation about how she got started. And we were when we left uh, from the break, Becky Montgomery. Who is Becky? To explain who Becky Montgomery is. Well, at the time, Becky Montgomery was the director of the Small Business Development Center at USM, uh, which is a program of the SBA Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. And um, but Becky has had a pretty cool. She's somebody you certainly need to get over here. Um, United Way of South Mississippi, Harrison County Development Commission, the Community College. She worked there for their foundation. Um, and then finished up her career at Mississippi Power. Um, Becky was in the National Guard, and that's a story in itself you should hear from her. But Becky was the first kind of real boss that I had, and she just taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she – I'll tell you one quick story. I, the mm-hmm. work, she was off on National Guard um, d- drill and when I first started. So I get there, I don't even have a boss, you know. And uh, there's this um, guy who worked there, and he said, um, hey, get me a cup of coffee. And I said, um, I, um, if I'm going to get myself coffee, I'll be happy to get you one. But I'm not getting up from my desk to go get that for you. That's not my, you know, that's my not my job here. Um, and I don't like that when you say that's not my job. I mean, I'm pretty much going to yeah, do anything. Right. But, um, and when Becky got back, I told her, and she said, uh, No, that's perfectly fine. And uh, she said, you're, you're not. That's not what you were hired to do. You're an MBA student. You're here working on business plans and helping um you know businesses grow and um you know right then we just kind of had a connection and um she's just taught me a lot been a great mentor and somebody who is just such a caring individual so you did that that essential essentially an internship with her and then you went to jackson to work in the private sector for the only time after Big Star that you worked in the private sector. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. um, I got offered a job with Beach Aerospace Services as a government contractor, and I was hired in the contract administration um, department, and they maintained airplanes all over mm-hmm. the uh, country, all over the world, and I helped negotiate contracts. And it was really, I, I was so um, in over my head, but I was not, I was naive. I just, I was young and I was like, oh, I could do this. And, you know, I learned pretty quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, living in Jackson when you're from the coast, um, I just kept saying, where's the water? Um, you know, and they'd say, oh, go out to the reservoir. And I said, that's, that's not real water. Where's the Gulf? Where's the breeze? Where's, so um, that was a good learning experience in the private sector. But when Becky called me and there was a full-time position at the Small Business Development Center and said, um, do you want to come home? I was like, I'm, I'm on my way. The car's <laughs> packed. I'm down 49 already. Um, you know, it was good to get home and get back to the place I loved and uh, back to a job that I really enjoyed working um, with the Small Business Development so, Center. So what did you do in that new job? Well, um, folks came in when they wanted to start a business, and back then we actually put, helped put together SBA loan packages, so that was almost like you were in banking and finance, but really it was talking people through their ideas and helping them um, kind of have a reality check of, is this business viable, and have they thought through? Most people think, oh, I'll spend $100 a month on advertising and think they're going to be on TV, radio, newspaper, and you're like, nah, you need to check that out. That's not quite how that's going to go. Um, a real cool project I worked on there was the Walter Anderson Museum. Mm-hmm. It was just getting uh, – it was in the concept phase, and we had to put together a, um, a plan for them to take – 
to the community to say if this many visitors are going to come and what's going to be the economic impact of this museum. And that's what they used to go out and kind of raise money and um, and get the community on board with it. So that was a, a real neat project. You saw a lot of um, successes, didn't you? You learned a lot about what makes a business tick. Absolutely. You it, And it's a lot of the early preparation. And uh, that's why it's called a business plan, you know, yeah. planning ahead. It always amazed me that people would buy a house and they would, you know, make sure is there enough rooms? Does the air condition work? Does it flood when it rains? But people decide on a Sunday night to start a business and expect on Monday morning to be wide open and uh, and good to go. And it's like, no, you got to do that same planning and preparation. And the the people who spent time on their business plan were the ones that made the difference. Yeah, it made it made a made a huge difference. So to kind of move things along, though, you eventually applied to go work for the Knight Foundation. I did. Um, so talk about that. Well, um, it was after Katrina, and uh, the Knight Foundation had had a program director uh, to represent the coast, but lived in Tallahassee, if you'll remember. Mm -hmm. And so, um, went down to Miami for a full day of interviews. I mean, that was just nonstop, all day long, people coming in and out, and I ended the day with Alberto, Mm -hmm. and just very intimidated by this guy. And I'm not really, not easily intimidated, but, but this guy was so smart, and he just was asking questions and firing off, and... What I learned from him was, um, you know, no, no, why? He always asked you why when you said you wanted to do something. Well, why would you do that? And if it was just, well, it just seems like the right thing to do. He he wanted to understand your thought process throughout that. <laughs> Once you figured that out with him, you're you're good to go with him. <laughs> um, but I really felt like it was important to have a national foundation have a presence on the coast because we needed help and mm-hmm. we needed. Um, somebody who had connections that also had the the funding and the financing that they could bring for a variety of grants. Um, so I started working with them, and it, you know there was uh, stacks and stacks and stacks of grants that we could consider, but we had to be very much mindful of what grants were going to be made that were going to be transformational mm-hmm. in, on the Gulf Coast. We were very lucky. You know, the Sun Herald was part of the Knight Ritter organization, and the Knight brothers who established the Knight Foundation. Um, usually played out in the communities where they owned newspapers. Mm-hmm. So that's how we, the Sun Herald, and the, and the and the coast became uh, really affiliated with the Knight Foundation. But after Katrina, Alberto took a special interest in coastal Mississippi. He was here within a week after the storm, um, helped to fund the governor's commission, right. uh, gave money to nonprofits, helped to create the Knight Nonprofit Center. If you missed that interview. And you want to be inspired by someone who's a, a, nas- a national scope type foundation and to understand how, how passionate they are about what happens locally, go listen to that conversation. And the work that the Knight Foundation is doing today around journalism is extraordinarily important. Um, and we continue to maintain a great relationship with Knight Foundation, even though you're not there any longer, you're in your role that you're in today. I mean, that, that learning, that opportunity really changed you, didn't it? Yeah, it was um – you know, it really, you had to think big. You had to think big, but you also had to have that reality check as to what's going to work, what's going to move this community forward and sustain that for years to come. So we had people who'd want a a water park or a a, a splash pad type thing. And it's like, that's, that's a great project for a neighborhood or a community, 
but that's not what we're looking to spend this money for. It's like, how are we going to get five bangs out of this buck mm-hmm. to make a difference? And I think the the Knight Nonprofit Center is a great example of that. I think you go look at that facility. There's 20-plus nonprofits there. There's meetings and people in and out of there all day long. I mean, every community should strive to have a nonprofit uh, center. What was interesting about your career, Adele, is for people who don't know this term, outcomes-based giving mm-hmm. it that was actually emerging we used to see uh, the same organization come back for more money every year and the nonprofit community as a general rule was changing and the knight foundation especially was changing to be very focused on outcomes based that was the reason why alberta was saying give me the why help me understand he wants transformation absolutely, absolutely. what is outcomes based uh lending tell about that well, it's looking at the investment and then what's going to be different in the end and how does that transform or change or make the situation, the place, the organization better to grow on that. And so we always ask, you want this money, what is it for? And I'd have somebody say, well, to pay our salaries, but why? And they say, well, to run the programs, but why? Well, the programs are going to help um, the homeless. But why? And then you, you'd finally get to the answer was, you know, you had homeless people living in the streets and, da, 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 you know, and so that's what we're really getting to. It wasn't that the money was to pay the salary. It was to solve that homeless problem. Mm-hmm. But you had to help people walk through that to get there. And that's what Alberto taught me because I was the same way. You know, at the beginning, it was like, well, this would be a great grant. Mm-hmm. And he said, but why? And I had to kind of go through that same process. I remember on the Habitat for Humanity, the Jimmy Carter bill that you'll remember uh, was here on the coast. I was like, we have to do this just because housing was such an issue after Katrina. Uh, But Alberto, he said, but why? And I had to kind of keep going through the process and finally came to the end that without housing in our community, people didn't have a place to live and work. They couldn't concentrate on rebuilding the community. They rebuilt their own lives. Um, So it wasn't really housing. It was it was really, you know, what housing is all about so that people can go further. So, so over the years, the Knight Foundation funded the Lynn Meadows Discovery Center, the Orr Museum. They believe the arts is a great way to en- engage the community, and um, you know they'll continue to make an impact here. You ultimately actually went to work for the Habitat for Humanity. I did. Um, Knight made some changes where they weren't funding in every community directly like they had been. Uh, they moved to the funding through the Community Foundation, which you're familiar with. And so Chris Monfortin um, with Habitat for Humanity offered me a position. We worked very closely together on that big build and project. And uh, that was that was a really cool job, a, pl- a good place to work. Well, what we're going to do when we come back, I want to talk about Habitat for just a few minutes and what you learned from Chris, because I know that he was a great mentor for you. Um, you're watching this evolution of Adele Lyons as a nonprofit leader and the things she's learned along the way. And um, and I hope you're as inspired as I am. You have to have people like Adele in this community who are going to give so much and continue to learn so much so that we can have the solid nonprofit community that that we have today. Uh, So when we get back, we'll continue our conversation, conversation with Adele Lyons, the CEO of the Coast Chamber. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. 
Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I've got Adele Lyons here with me this morning, the CEO of the Coast Chamber. And before the break, we talked about her time in various nonprofits, and we were about to shift gears and move into she joined Habitat to Humanity after having a role in the Knight Foundation. But it occurred to us during the break, there's one more little example that we want to talk about, about the Knight Foundation's role. As I mentioned, they gave a million dollars to the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal, which was extremely important, but then continued to do uh, grants throughout coastal Mississippi to help with various planning efforts. A great example, actually, that really speaks to the importance of these kinds of things was what happened in Gulfport. Talk, talk about that, Adele. Well, Brent Moore had been mayor for just like two months. Uh, you know, just came in in July. Katrina hits. His whole city's, you know, downtown is wiped out. There's the cargo um, containers all over the place from the port. And so Knight did a couple different grants. One was they provided some... Uh, counseling and coaching to Brent on how to how to be a leader in this time of devastation and uh, brought some practices and procedures to the city of Gulfport um, that helped him kind of keep all the balls in the air but the other big one that really paid off huge for downtown Gulfport as you see it today was a planning grant I think it was about $130,000 to say what do we want downtown Gulfport to look like how do we want to change this and I mean physically the facade of the building the streetscapes and everything and so that was put together and then hud um, department of housing and urban development their community development block grant funds uh, were available but you had to have a plan Mm -hmm. and here the city of gulfport had a plan and they knew what they wanted to do and they were able to apply and get those funds and buildings that were empty could still look nice from the outside not a blight type situation and it brought i mean you see today the number of restaurants and retail and activities that you see in downtown gulfport um all really came from those grants the streetscapes where they like changed parking and medians with um landscape and everything and really if you're going to rebuild your downtown it was kind of like what's your wish list of how you want to do this and gulfport was able to put that together and then able to move forward with the plan to, to really make that happen. And gosh, I don't remember the amount of money it was, but it was several millions of dollars to do that that, you know, really changed. And, and that shows sort of the transformational side of what Knight was looking for. So at the time, it was literally one of the largest facade programs in the history of HUD, wasn't it? It was, absolutely. And look what we have today in downtown Gulfport. amazing yeah yeah. and uh you know overall the knight foundation grants Mm -hmm. that i had worked on after katrina and and you and others certainly um after katrina was about 14 million Mm dollars in total to this community and i think you know we're still seeing a lot of those the facades the ore museum um you know the knight nonprofit center i just can't say enough about i mean i work there every day which is kind of cool to go back to a place that we help create Mm -hmm. um but again Every community should try to have a nonprofit center. So before we get too far away from Brent, uh, first of all, his dad um, was so important to coastal Mississippi, and I believe that uh, Gene War really was one of the original, you know, ultimate volunteers owning owning his, uh, you know, menswear store mm-hmm. and just giving back to the community every opportunity that that he could. And so, uh, you know, he was a great mentor for for um, for Brent. 
I, I became a huge fan of Brent. I know that when he came in, he was, you know, he, he didn't have much experience, but the ultimate experience he got as, as a result of Katrina, and he didn't, you know, curl up in a corner somewhere scared. He faced it head on. And a lot of his leadership we, we get to enjoy today because of the kind of things he put in place. So you joined Habitat and you worked for Chris. Um, talk about your time at the Habitat. Well, Habitat was an organization that really almost um, exploded, of course, after Katrina. It had been a small affiliate that had just built a couple of houses a year. Now there were literally thousands of volunteers wanting to come, wanting to come in. Um, Chris came from Habitat International to the coast and took on the organization, merged some uh, small affiliates together and grew the staff almost overnight. and, And they were just working just nonstop building hundreds and hundreds of houses and when i came on board things were starting to slow down a little bit and what i mean by slow down was not as many volunteers were coming you still had them but it wasn't hundreds a week it was maybe 50 or 60 which is still Mm. a huge number um and so we had to start looking at how we were going to make this a sustainable local organization up until that point Habitat had received a lot of funding and grants from around the country and various organizations, but people were, you know, moving on from Katrina. There had been some other disaster somewhere else, and we were kind of taking that back seat, and it needed to be locally driven, which made sense. That's what needed to happen. Um, So, I, you know, I get there, and, and there's still a lot going on, but they're, you know, working on the local development and having local people involved in the bills. And so today, you know, one of the projects we worked on a lot and built was the Women Build Project. That's getting ready to kick off right now. And that's where whole teams of women go out and build, and it leads up to Mother's Day. Uh, Part of the reason for that is because of the number of households that are led by women today. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big project, and that's all local folks that are participating in raising money for that. Um, You know, the other big project, Chris is a big vision guy, super big vision guy. And I think mm-hmm. I countered him because I could be sort of the reality check is yeah. to say, this sounds great, but how about this and how about that? And we could talk through things. And so, you know, today they've expanded. They're working with the Baldwin County Habitat for Humanity and got the restore um, up on Highway 49. That was the last really big project I worked getting that kicked off. And every time I go in there, I'm just as proud as a peacock of um, that that's working, and that just brings in some dollars to help sustain Habitat. So this opportunity to learn how to engage volunteers, how to grow the volunteer base more organically, locally, as opposed to having people come in from the outside, that that learning really was a great predicate for joining the Coast Chamber and getting involved as a leader of the Coast Chamber, wasn't it? Yeah, because the Chamber is very much a volunteer-driven organization as well, and it's local volunteers, and it's people that want to participate and want to give back, um, that, that want to – they see it as a way to grow their business, but at the same time, you're helping grow the community. So there's no reason why you can't get two bangs for your buck. So when you had the opportunity to join the Coast Chamber, did you think, man, the, you know, the accumulation of experience up to this moment and this, this opportunity you have now, this is the right thing at the right time? Did you think that? Well, to be honest with you, at first, um, Kimberly Nastasi had been there for a number of years, and she had grown mm-hmm. that organization and moved to accreditation and really professionalized the chamber uh, like no other. It was really, uh, the organization was just in a great place. And I was at Habitat and was, you know, pretty content there and happy there. And when Kimberly left to go to Ingalls, a couple of people said, oh, you're applying for the chamber job. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy here. 
Um, but I decided to go ahead and for the interview. And, and once I started talking to the folks and once I could hear myself answering the questions, I'm like, yeah, I do. I do want this. I do think this is a good uh, next move for me. And I had been a chamber volunteer. I'd been president of the Biloxi Chamber. I'd been a speaker, you know, so it was someplace I, I knew and was comfortable. Um, so it's really worked out well for me. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. something that it combined the business of the Small Business Development Center and the incubator when I worked there to kind of the volunteer mm-hmm. side um, and of, of Habitat Night Foundation, all kind of coming together under one organization. So, you know, it's a, it's an extremely important organization uh, to the coast, and it was, it was you were in the right place at the right time, and they were lucky to have you. What's interesting, and this has been true of your career every step of the way, and every single person that I talked to, they didn't necessarily plan for this, whatever this next thing was. They just focused on doing extremely well in the current thing. And then opportunity just sort of made itself available to them. You know, there are these, again, we've referred to them as moments. And I mentioned mm-hmm. to somebody, if I was going to write a book about what I've learned in one month, it's that there, there would, the book would be called Moments, Are You Ready for Yours? Because if you're not out there, you know, doing your thing and burning the midnight oil and learning something new, you may miss this next opportunity. But for you, it's been a, just a series of serendipitous things that have led you to where you are today. Yeah, you know, um, going back to the Small Business Development Center, Becky Montgomery was my boss. I was per- perfectly content there, and she's the one who came to me and said, um, there's an opening at the Small Business Incubator over on Pops Ferry Road, the Business Technology Center. I think you ought to apply for that. She's telling her employee, you ought to leave me and go work somewhere else, because she wow. saw that as a growth opportunity <clears throat> for me and for that organization. And um, I've always... That's an attitude that I've tried to keep with my staff is, you know, if something comes up that's better for you, that you need to take it. Mm-hmm. And I need to be supportive of you on that. You know, early in my career, I read everything I could get my hands on about success and, you know, how to how to set goals and achieve goals. And I never will forget Zig Ziglar in the book, Top Performance, said that if you help people get what they want out of life, you'll get what you want out of life. Mm-hmm. And it is so true, isn't it? Yeah. You, you probably can name many people who have worked with you that have gone on to do amazing things. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think you have to uh, be mindful of the person because it's going to come back in the end for you and for your world and their world. Yeah. Wow. What a great conversation. Uh, anyone who listens to this can't help but be inspired and want to go find what they can do in the community. So when we come back, we're going to hit some high points about what's going on in the chamber these days. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a final message for anyone who's thinking about getting involved in the community. Um, Adele may have a message for you about that. We'll be back with Adele Lyons, the CEO of the Coast Chamber, after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. It's a great time to be on the coast, and we love talking about it. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. We have Adele Lyons, the CEO of the Coast Chamber, with us, and we've taken her personal journey. And uh, where we left it, she had joined the Coast Chamber. She talked about how she came to 
apply for that job. And uh, so you got the job at Dell, and there's been no looking back, has there? No, it's uh, it's game on every day. Uh, you know, it's always something going on. We do a ton of events, ton of activities, um, ribbon cuttings. I mean, this just runs the gamut. What kind of staff do you have? Uh, we have a total of 10, including myself. And, um, you know, we cover all of Harrison County. We've got seven divisions, the Biloxi Chamber, Gulfport Chamber, Long Beach Chamber, and Pass, mm-hmm. uh, the Coast Young Professionals, mm-hmm. Leadership Gulf Coast, and our Coast Centurions Association, which is our military support group. So, we got a lot going on. And then on. you have one coast, the awards that I'm so uh, happy about that we continue to have, that involves actually Jackson and Hancock County as well. Yeah, that's something we do in cooperation with mm-hmm. the other chambers. Mm-hmm. And that's just, uh, we picked up where the Sun Herald left off on those awards. And we'll do the 10 community leaders um, and then 10 under 40. And we've had tremendous response to that as always. A lot of applications, really tough for the judges to have to go through that and um, break down and, and figure out who's those, who those recipients will be. And that's on March 24th. So mm-hmm. hope to see you there. And then, you know, we always have our annual meeting coming up and our Pat Santusi uh, recipients uh, mm-hmm. from the past are usually there. So, you know, like to see you get out and about at that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was proud to be a recipient of that award and uh, the chamber has done such a great job of continuing to recognize uh, leaders. So what else is high on your list? Well, when I came into the chamber, um, one of the things that we had been involved with, but a little more on the back burner, was um, advocacy from a government relations, government affairs standpoint. And so Kimberly had started the pre- and post-legislative briefings, which are very well attended. People want to come here direct from those representatives and senators um, to tell us what's happening at the state legislature and what they thought was going to be coming up. Um, We also do a lot of breakfast with the mayors and things like that so that people can have a direct contact with those elected officials. I mean, certainly you can go to city council meetings and, and those type of activities, but this really gives you an opportunity to directly ask those mayors questions. Um, but we really, we had some issues that we as the business community needed to really push on. And the, really the main one that we really jumped full feed in was the BP uh, settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, things weren't really moving. And we partnered and formed a coalition with the Gulf Coast Business Council and the other chambers to really say that money needs to be here on the coast. This is where the damages occurred. We fully knew we weren't going to get 100% of the funds, but at one point it really looked like um, it was in jeopardy of being Mm -hmm. spread around the state. Mm -hmm. And as a chamber, we just kept our members very um, informed, and we held various forums to keep them up to date, and we put out some newsletters. And in the end, you know, it's worked out. The funds are set up to come here to the coast. There's a process they're going through right now. Um, but I really felt like the chamber needed to dive into that. And it's a good thing you did. And uh, Ashley from the Business Council was on recently. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the, there are there are transformational opportunities with that money. We're talking about when you add up all the pots, about $2 billion coming back here, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to sort of a Katrina kind of spurring of, of development opportunities. Before we, uh, before we get too far away and we're kind of you know nearing the end, I, I want you to talk about why it's important for people to be involved in the community what's your what's your urging of them well um i don't think first of all you don't wait to be asked i think some people are waiting to be asked to join an organization or a committee don't wait to be asked if that's something you're interested and passionate let somebody know hey i want to get involved 
and for the chamber if that's joining a chamber and getting involved in the committee because that's how we um, keep everything fresh. That's how we make sure that we're connected back to the community from the community members and, and what direction do we need to head in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people also have to be realistic. You can't join, you're not going to join the committee of the organization and be the chair of it the next day. Um, there's folks who put in some time, effort, and energy, and you can learn from them. Um, you know, I always say that you have to make a deposit, um, you know, before you make a withdrawal from mm-hmm. your account. <laughs> And so deposit your time, effort, energy, your expertise to those organizations. And that's everything from the chamber to the, you know, the Humane Society, uh, Feeding the Gulf Coast, United Way, Boys and Girls Club. I mean, there's plenty to choose from. As John Harrison said, you have to do your reps. And yes. as Jerry St. Pay said, you just don't decide you're going to lift 200 pounds. You have to, you have to build that muscle. And that's what you're saying. You have to you have to get involved and work your way up and learn and do different organizations. And over time, you can become a leader in our in our community. Absolutely. And you know, different things come up in people's lives where they do have to maybe step away. And it's great to have a deep bench that we can turn to the next person and say, "Can you fill in? Can you step up? Can you lead the charge on this effort?" Um, we can't have a deep enough bench. We can never have enough leaders. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That, that cannot be overstated. Well, we're nearing the end. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how fast time yes, flies. Yes, it does. It? Adele, you are an inspiration to me. And oh, I, thank and, you. And I can, that's why Tori said that's going to be great when she heard that I was talking to you. You have a wonderful reputation for someone who's willing to get their hands dirty and learn and contribute. And, uh, and now that people have had an opportunity to hear your story, they can see why you've earned that respect. And uh, the Coast Chamber is very lucky to have you. The employees of the Chamber are very, very lucky to have you. And, um, you know, who, who knows what's next for you? I'm sure it's going to be the Chamber for a while, but who knows what, you know, God's going to have for you next. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty content there, but, yeah. you know, you never know what's going to come up. Okay, so it's been a wonderful conversation with Adele Lyons, the CEO of the Coast Chamber. I look forward to uh, seeing you again tomorrow. And uh, until then, have a great day. Thank you. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.